guys, welcome to another Smartpreneur Live with me, Toledo. Thank you so much for joining me today. Today we'll be talking about pricing strategies that you, yes, you should know as a business owner. So I'm going to pin it today's topic and then we're going to um, start off the conversation with our guest. Say hello. Hi, can you see me? I can see you perfectly. Yes, can you see me? Fantastic. Thank you for joining you us. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Apologies, it was scheduled a little bit later. Fiddling with these lights. I'm not used to, you know, doing my own lighting and all the rest of it. It's another job. But thank God, we made it. <laughs> we made it on here. Fantastic. So I'm really excited, um, like I was saying to everybody before you joined us for this conversation, because I feel pricing is one of those things that business owners struggle with. Like, there's always that temptation to price lower because you want to get volume. You want to get, like, a, you know, a high number of customers. But oftentimes when people do that, they're shooting themselves in the foot. Um, I know I've made that mistake before, so I can't wait for you to give us, you know, insight okay. on how to do it the right way. The right way. Okay. But first, I'm going to um, read your bio. I hope that's okay. Just so everyone okay. has, you know, some background information about you, your accomplishments, and what you're about. So you, um, okay, you're Ella George Uduku, and you're a business strategy consultant and the founding partner of Hillbridge Consulting. Fantastic. Uh, your central passion is to guide small and medium businesses in achieving their growth targets by arming them with essential skills in strategic planning. I'm really loving all of this planning strategy. So important. We're going to delve more into it. Um, and also, um, you specialize in business development and organizational alignment. You hold a degree in management information systems and an MBA. Amazing. With over 14 years experience in banking and strategy consulting, both here in Nigeria and also in the USA. Um, you're also known as the bridge builder and you focus most of your time and energy in helping others, especially business people, create better businesses, relationships and lives. Amazing. I'm so like I'm so pumped already. Just reading your bio. Oh wow. We're gonna do our best to get through as much as possible today. Let's rewind a little bit. Let's talk about your time in banking, um, what you feel you sort of got from your time in banking and what made you sort of move from banking to the SME space. Because when I think of banking, I just think, I just see dollar bills going across the front of my eyes. That's what like, I think of banking money. Um, and the SME space is, you know, a little bit slower paced. So what made mm -hmm. you sort of make that transition? Okay. So um, while at banking, I did public sector and then corporate banking and I was moved to retail banking. Retail banking, interestingly, I spent the shortest amount of time, but for some reason, I connected very well. So I'm a people person, naturally. I'm an extrovert, and I love people. I, I get energy when there are people around, yeah, unlike some other people that, you know, people drain their energy. And so... Um, during that time, I would find myself just discussing with people and, of course, we'll talk about their businesses or what was going on. Now, I come from a family of entrepreneurs, merchants, just people who've been doing business, right? And there were lessons that I had learned intentionally or unintentionally along the way. And so add that to my education, I would, you know, give them some advice aside what was related to banking and you know they'll come back to me and say you know Emanuela this really worked thank you so much this and it was happening 
over and over again. That's when I started thinking, perhaps I should go into consulting so I can really do this. Plus, I was never very excited about um, banking. It was just one of those jobs I came earlier on, and then it allowed me wear heels, of course. So getting dressed to work every day was fun. That was part of the reason. But it wasn't something that I saw myself doing very long term. Okay. So I decided to go get an MBA so I could get into consulting, right? Okay. And at that point, my mind was still the big consulting firms, you know, just work as one of the consultants there. But over, over time, I just found myself constantly gravitated to um, the smaller businesses because it looked like the impact was, you know, easier to measure and see so that really was how i transitioned and uh yeah no going back fantastic that's amazing i i know what you mean by dressing up it's quite nice to have to wear heels like yeah <laughs> it's definitely definitely a plus so now that we've sort of understood a little bit more about your background i want to talk about because i love sort of learning from examples you know i mean of course we're not going to mention any company names or anything like that but i want to just talk about maybe some companies that you've worked with um, in the SME space and how you've sort of transformed their businesses um, via pricing. Like I said earlier, um, I'm in the SME space. I have a business as well. And pricing is one of those things, especially in Nigeria, no matter how low your price is, you know, somebody will always come and say, ah, can I, even if it's one Naira, can I not get a discount? Mm -hmm. Your price, you know? And I think, especially when it's a one-man business or two or three you know, person business, there's always, there's always that temptation to give in and to you know give that discount in order to make a sale, even if it's potentially harming the bottom line of that business. So yeah. I want to talk about businesses you work with and how you help them to sort of implement the right pricing for their business or their service. Okay. Oh, so first of all, all things being equal, businesses that have higher prices will make more profit. All things being equal. Mm. However, the way small business owners seem to think or think in most cases is businesses that have higher prices will get less customers and so that yeah. that keeps them from going for the high price there have been a couple of them so um off the top of my head i can think of a skincare a skincare brand that i worked with uh, about a year ago i can also think of a food manufacturing company that i did some work with the same last year and it happens pretty often that when I work with people, I have them increase their prices, right? Because for me, I find, now, let's rewind a little. Every time I work with a business, my work is really very tailored. And so I try to do a very deep assessment of what's going on in the business right now. And more often than you would love to know, businesses are not making a lot of money. Right, and sometimes it's because the margins are painfully thin. So you look into that, and you just can't continue this way. And then the explanation is, but you know, when people, a lot of times, nobody's even asking, nobody's making inquiries, particularly for online businesses. And so when someone comes around, you want to keep them. You want to just you know, convert that person to a customer at all costs. So when they ask for a discount, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be like, okay, I don't mind. Let me give a discount and just make the sale. So the, the excuse usually sounds like that. But 
particularly for service businesses. If you look really closely, you'll find that the owners are doing a lot of work to deliver good service. You know, they pay attention to the quality of their products, at least the people I work with, because I tend to attract a specific type of customers, right? Okay. And for me, I flip the question to what is going to make a customer buy this product at this price? Right? What are the things they're going to be looking out for that will justify a higher price? Because if, if I just go and say, no, 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 we need to increase these prices, I'm going to meet a lot of resistance because they know what they've been seeing in their business. So instead, I try to come at it from the angle of what do we need to do to justify a higher price? So for the skincare brand, that lady particularly was very hesitant to increase prices because she'd not be making a lot of sales even with the lower prices. So she was, of mm. course, convinced that if I go any higher, I'm absolutely mm. not going to convince anyone. But instead, we did the opposite. And so we said, um, let's create some bundles, right? First of all, everything, the price of everything has to change. And then, you know, let's create some bundles so that it gives the exact results that keep people coming back. Because a lot of times, if you have very strong, undeniable results, it builds mm -hmm. your confidence. And once your confidence is built, you're able to charge a certain price and stand by it because now you are sure that it works. Yes. Right? So exactly. you have to you know, bundle that way so that people can actually get the skin transformation that they're looking for. Mm. That's one. And then I had her just completely put out everything that she had on you know, the social media and website and everything about the low price. Everything completely went. So we raised it up. I, I recall we also did a free um, free deliveries because for some reason Nigerians would like paying delivery. Yes, I agree. It's crazy. That thing can really ramp up sales. Yeah. Yes. So um, we added a free delivery. We added a guarantee of sorts. I don't remember what the guarantee was like, but you know, many times the fact that you're even willing to put out a guarantee makes more people trust. So it increases the perceived value that they get from your product. So typically that's um, the route that I take. Let's look at it. And if we're going to move the price from 5K to 10K, what is going to because at every price point and i say this all the time at mm. every price point there are customers mm. it's mm. just that the ones who pay higher price there are things they're looking for they're not going to come into your shop and be sweating and you tell them to pay high price you know yeah. they're not going to come and go around looking for where to park for 10 minutes and they won't come back. So there's specific mm. things, whether you realize it or not, the things that we're looking for. So I usually go, if we're to increase the price, let's find things that we can add to beef up the value so okay. that it then makes to the customer. Yeah. That's so that's the You see, one thing you touched on, well, you touched on a lot of things that I really love, but one of the things you just said is about value because I feel like value is sometimes perceived and you can have product A and product B and they can be almost the same. But it's, it's, it's the value and the marketing and the way that value Brand is. appeal. Pardon? Brand appeal. Brand appeal, exactly, exactly. Um, which is why I, you know, I know a lot of disgruntled entrepreneurs who are like, oh, I'm selling this, this other person is selling this, mine is better than her own. I'm like, yeah, but her own or his own, you know, the way they're talking about it, you know, the language they're using, even the communication channels, you know, perhaps maybe better. So Different. can you give us some practical ways that, um, 
the brands, like smaller brands, can communicate value. Um, you mentioned um, two, which I loved. You mentioned the, um, the guarantee. Um, what's that thing you mentioned? You mentioned guaranteed something else. What is free, free delivery. <laughs> that should be just like a buzzword on its own. Free delivery, exactly. Um, but what are some other ways that SMEs can communicate brand value and also build trust? Because I feel like once there's trust, the money can come out a little bit easier, especially like you said, with online brands where they don't have a store or a physical location where people ha can go and look at the product or learn more about the service. So everything literally is done virtually. Um, I, there's so many. Let me pick the ones that are coming to my head as you speak. So for a business that is particular about increasing their brand value, if they have a physical space, it always, always makes a difference when the aesthetics, you know, the environment is really cool. Smell, light, coolness of you know, the office, those things count, right? I know that sometimes we like to make people feel like mm, packaging. It matters. It matters, right? And if you are online, particularly if you're online only, Showing your personality, either as a business owner or if you don't want to show your face as the business owner, a brand ambassador, but having someone who constantly communicates and engages with people, particularly videos and, um, and video marketing, live videos, you know, live sessions, whatever, but just showing yourself, explaining things, answering questions, all of those things matter, right? The speed of response and, and only experience yeah. matters, right? So again, all things being equal, that business that has presence across one, two, three platforms and responds speedily will come across as more serious and customers will believe that that business is more reliable, like they're more reputable. And it matters. They may not even realize that that is why they're willing to pay a higher value, right? Instead of having a very scattered feed with no, go learn, spend one hour. You may not have the money, but, you know, invest some time learning how to use Canva or designer and put up beautiful feet. Those things matter, you know? Um, of course, we could also come to things like free installation, you know, free deliveries, um, exchanges, refunds, guarantees, payment plans, right? People love payment plans. And if you're offering it with a higher price, that also works. So, I mean, there are a couple of things that um, a business owner who has... The thing is, many times we just give it very little time during the planning process. But once you prioritize it, you will find that there's, there are things you can stop doing immediately to work people towards perceiving you as, even if not premium, but a, a more appealing brand, you know, who can then come on, who can then command a higher price? I, I really agree with you. And I think, you know, what you said about if you have a physical location, I know there's some stores I walk into here in Lagos, and I, am I in Nigeria? I'm even afraid. I know. The atmosphere is so beautiful. They have the, you know, the diffusers going and the sales staff, you know, or even if it's the owner who's uh, manning the shop, is so polite, you know, all those things, they make you want to buy, they put you in a good frame of mind um, to yeah. make a purchase. So I, I definitely agree with packaging. I think everything in life is kind of packaging, to be, to be honest. So it's, it's good to keep it in mind, you know. Fantastic. So let's now move on to talking about how do you know what a good margin is? Is it 30%? Is it 20%? How can you sort of, you know, um, calculate a margin 
that will help to keep your business sustainable as an SME? Okay. If we're to be honest, it starts with some knowledge of cost accounting. You need to know what your costs are. Unfortunately, a lot of people just look at what's going on in the market and then adopt one price, yeah. which may not work for them. Um, so in reality, you need to calculate both the cost of the goods themselves and accountants will do you know, a good job of really breaking it down. But your rent, salaries, somehow everything should be built into each unit of what you sell. Mm. So if you're not able to do that by yourself, or if it's something you just can't bother with, you know, do I the X in mathematics? You just can't deal with that. Hand it over to someone, let them help. You know, but I think um, knowing your costs are a good place to start. And then you can do a bit of industry research. And I know that data can be hard. Trust me, I'm a consultant. Data can be very hard to find in Nigeria. Yeah. But if you work and have, um, you know, good relationships with people, even informally, you can start to get an idea of what the industry average is. And then another factor that I always, always play up is for as long as you're clear on who your ideal customer is, as long as you're clear on what they're struggling with and how you help, as long as you're clear on the fears that they have and the aspirations that are in their hearts. If you fulfill those needs that they have, those aspirations, if you can really help them in a tangible way, the value that they get should be reflected in your price. So say for instance, um, what can we use? Give me an example. Just throw out a product or service. A product, maybe a product, Coca-Cola maybe? That's not very healthy. Um, a product. Maybe like, also, maybe like a nail. Nails are pretty. Nails are pretty. So let's use nails, okay. right? <laughs> That's my business, by the way. So I'm advertising on this platform as well. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's good. Okay, so let's use nails. The same thing I said about price points. At every price point, you will see people who fix nails for. Maybe 500. Somewhere in Nigeria, someone is fixing nails for 500. Yeah. And somewhere in the same country, someone is also probably fixing their nails for 50,000 naira. Yeah. Now, um, during our workout today, my son told me um, my nails were, I don't recall the word he used, but he was trying to say, I need to go do my nails. For some people, the value of well-done nails is the confidence that they feel in a boardroom full of men, right? Mm -hmm. Where they are opportune to stand and how they feel with well-done nails versus their own natural nails or just any other nails is so huge that because you understand that and you give them exactly what they want, which is, you know, all the lengths are equal, no injuries when you, you know, whatever it is, it ceases to be about the nail itself, but how they feel having your nails. And so that should be reflected. So if, unlike every other person in the market who does nails, a nail technician can convince me that you're not going to scrape my knuckles, I'm not going to, you know, have my nails depleted, or what, what's that word now, when they give you those deep, um, shaving curves. Like people care about different things. I don't yeah. like ridges. You know the ridges after you've done. I I hate them. 
right? So if I find someone who's not going to give me ridges, who's not going to injure my skin, I'm willing yeah. to pay half. Okay. Okay, okay. No, but someone who doesn't know that will think it's just about, you know, it's just about pretty nails. And that's yes. why it's so important that we engage with our customers and even potential customers, you know, to know what they want and what they truly think. Because many times the value we place is not really about the product itself. Sometimes it's yes. the experiences. The experiences. You know, yeah. So... I totally agree with you, I, especially with, you know when it's like services geared towards women. I think for women, like you said, confidence is such a big thing, and it can be the smallest yeah. thing um, that will boost your confidence. Maybe the nails or the lipstick or your lashes or whatever it is that the person prioritizes. If it's done in a in a sanitary way and in a way, because I think as business owners we think about value from our perspective, but we have to look at the value from the uh, client's perspective. So, I love I love everything you said there. So let's talk about. More about price slashing, because I know it's, you know, the SME sector, there's a lot of sort of, oh, this person is selling, maybe my price is 500 naira, for example, and someone else says, oh, she's selling for 500, let me sell for 450. Someone else says, okay, let me sell for 400. And then before you know it, there's a sort of price war going on. And I, and I think business owners sort of lose their minds. It's like, no, this person's not going to sell more than me. Yeah, let me go to 300. And you don't even, you know, think about whether you're making profit or not at a point. You're just, you're just undercutting to undercut, undercut. So, what is the cure for that? I see that so much, and it's just a race to the bottom. I don't think anybody wins unless the person has deep enough pockets to um, to keep doing that until all their competitors are sort of obliterated from the market. But um, yeah, how can we how can we sort of not succumb to those types of pricing tactics? Hmm. For those who care not to succumb, because for some people. All these ones you're speaking is English. They will keep doing that because to them, that's the only way to get customers. Um, where I live, where I live, about four or five, time flies, maybe six years ago, Ebano opened up a store, Ebano Supermarket opened okay. up a store. Now, you know, new supermarket in town, they had large parking, and so everybody just went in to check. And of course, they were making noise because there are a couple of estates in the area. You step in, and oh my God, the prices were ridiculous. They were unbelievable. Things were going almost at like 60% off, like really ridiculous prices. Yeah. I'm business consultant, so I, I kind of understood what they were doing. They just need you to come through the door. Knowing that you come one time, two times, three times, by the fourth time, your wife calls you on the road, please buy bread. Automatically, you just drive that way, mm. right? So they understood that it was a strategy. Right now, I don't shop there, except I cannot find what I need in another market that I buy from. Because when the price hike started, 5 naira, 10 naira, 15, Jesus, by the time, oh, oh my goodness, <laughs> you know, but they understood. So for them, it was a market penetration strategy because okay. they needed to gain market share. They mm. understand or they understood that with customers and buying from places like supermarkets, it really is a matter of habit. You know, sometimes you no longer think of it. You just get in a drive, yeah. right? Yeah. And of course, the loyalty and other things started to come up. But what I'm trying to bring out is those we look at or those we look up to that do things like that on the cutting prices so they can increase their market share have a drawn out strategy like whether they're working with you know people like us at Hill Bridge or they're working with the Martinez's they have thought it through you know nothing is 
spur of the moment. <clears throat> they thought about it, they planned it, they knew they were not going to be profitable for X period. However, give us another Y period and we're going to hit whatever numbers we want to hit. So for business owners who do that, um, I've had a few customers through the years that that was their practice because they really didn't know better. It's going to be the same thing. Look, imagine that a big player then comes in, right? And you hear stories of companies like Amazon doing things like that and literally just sending small businesses out of. I mean, there are states where um, Walmart would want to come into the state and all the small businesses are fighting and choking them like, no, because businesses are going to die, you yeah. know? Yeah. For business owners, what we should do instead is we have a unique opportunity to connect with customers like the big businesses can. Mm -hmm. And so using that, we need to be getting information about what matters and then delivering on what matters so mm -hmm. that we can have prizes that are justified. Okay. Okay, yeah. On the yourself, it almost never ends. And the very bad thing is, if you have started building your business that way, it can be really hard to make a U-turn and now start charging your worth. So in, in, in cases where, because um, I've worked with some clients in the past where that's what they've done, you know, every resistance, they offer a discount. Um, every month, they're, they're doing some, some form of promo. And that's the only way they sell. And now they've realized, you know, oftentimes as you do more business and get exposed, you learn. So now they've learned that their margins are really low and they probably have healthy revenues, but the profit is not reflecting that. So yeah. now I'm going to raise the prices and everyone is resisting. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, really hard. So in cases like that, what I do is tell them we need to get back to the drawing board, define the new target audience that we want, and then just go find these set of people who don't know our bad history of yeah. you know, killing with, with um, unmerited discounts, who don't know yeah. that history, and then meet them at the point of their needs and, if possible, exceed it. You know, so that really is the new way, because with those ones that you have spoiled, with promos and discounts and, you know, just going lower than everybody, it can be very hard. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And, you know, just to sort of buttress what you said in my business, um, I used to do that. It was like a drug, you know, like in terms of, oh, just do a discount. And, you know, because lots of customers will come, people are waiting for the discount. In fact, by the time you announce it, hey, you're, you know, you'll practically sell out. But you're right, your margins do become razor thin. And also, it does affect your business because it's unsustainable. Like, I had to, like, go cold turkey because I was like, business it cannot it, it this cannot be the way forward you know it's not it can't yeah. it can't thrive so that's why many shut down you know that's why many businesses shut down yes yes no i agree and i think you know like you said communicating value is so much more important if you can communicate value then you don't always have to sort of do all this promos and things like that so but now i want you to inspire us because you know there's so much doom and gloom um the pandemic has been happening um, all across the world and we keep hearing stories of you know that consumer spending is down people don't want to spend money people are being cautious they're maybe only buying food and you know a few other household essentials but not you know other things so um a lot of smes are you know struggling and worrying about what the future what the future holds for them to be honest so i want you to give us maybe an inspiring story of um, a company an SME that you've worked with who's been able to do really well during you know this season um during the pandemic 
and and some of the tactics because I love the way you talk about strategy. I find it really interesting. So some of the strategies that they use. Yes. <laughs> you're welcome to sort of to stay afloat and also to thrive during this time. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'll tell you about this corporate gifting company that okay. I worked with not too, not too long ago. Started The project started during the pandemic. Okay. You see it. Hmm, 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 hmm. Hey, this is coming. <laughs> A lot of times we really shoot ourselves as small businesses because if I were to call up someone here on this call now and ask the person of the 200, 1,000 people you have on your contact list or on your Facebook contact or Instagram. No, mm. maybe not Instagram. Okay, Instagram if it's personal. But let's just even stick with phone contacts. How many of them know what you do? You'd be surprised at the really small number. So um, it's easy to look at people who push, 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 and oh, that's a little too much. You know, that's what, particularly because I work with, you know, smart entrepreneurs, they're very visionary, they know what they want, they're good at what they do, but many of them struggle with marketing and sales, which is the lifeline, you know, of any business. And so part of what I helped this business do was beyond just the product, tell me about what you do and what we uncovered was that even though they're a gifting company, it's almost like their work was about customer retention or customer relationships. Because from the couple of stories that she told me about the organizations that had worked with them, she did not realize till I dug deep to uncover those. But it happened that what she was actually helping them do was retain their own customers. And you can imagine the kind of aha moment that it was because she went from just selling corporate gifts. And so with that, empowered with that new knowledge of what you actually do, like the end result, the outcome, mm -hmm. we said, okay, we need to pay attention to prospecting. This is a very awkward part of business that a lot of business owners don't like. You know, most people who run um, small businesses, we're really just technicians. We're good at what we do, but not necessarily the business of doing that thing. And that's why you can be great at making hair. You open a salon and it flops. <laughs> you know, you can be a great chef. You start up a catering business and one year down the line, you're wondering what's going on because it takes a different set of skills. I tell people there's a reason people go to school and study business, right? Mm -hmm. There's a reason their entire master's degree dedicated to business administration because mm -hmm. it takes a totally different set of skills. Yes. What I'm trying to say is business owners need to, I'm looking for the word. This is important. I want to pass it on as clearly as possible. Mm, mm. You must dig deep. Like, you know, you know, there's this, uh, is it a saying or a quote where someone said, if I had um, 10 hours to cut a tree, I'll spend six um, sharpening the, the saw or something mm. like that, right? Many times we get caught up in the everyday running of the business without truly understand how we make a difference and that's yeah. not because we're making a difference we're just not looking there but one way that i really help businesses is uncover the outcome the result that you really help people achieve and when they're mm -hmm. equipped with that information that new mm -hmm. insight mm -hmm. they're then able to 
you know, flip things and speak more confidently. Mm. Not prospecting is one of the biggest reasons people are struggling in their businesses. Like I would ask even people who have worked with me mm. sometimes, I would ask people, when was the last time you spoke to a stranger about your business? Like you hear things like three weeks ago, hey, I can't remember. Why? And this is why you find so many businesses who are run by smart, hardworking people in the background. And then the mediocre ones, let's, let's be honest, the mediocre ones who know how to make a lot of noise and just put themselves out there are the ones who are doing good business, are the ones who are building successful businesses because they are the ones people remember. And so if anyone ever asked you, do you know anyone who fill in the blank? You're going to ask, you, you're going to mention the person whose, whose story is always on your screen, whose feed is always, you know. So whether it's in real life, everyday life or online, um, we really need to stop prospecting, not only because it increases the number of potential customers that you can have, but because it gives you a lot of insights. For everyone who says no, they probably, if you would ask, they'll probably tell you why. And over time, you've learned firsthand from one to 1,100 people what you could do better. And so all things being before, you're going to cook a lot farther in your journey, in your confidence, in your understanding of customer needs than the person who's just sitting and waiting and, you know, just posting and hoping it goes well, mm. you know? So, so those are some of the things I, they're very uncomfortable, they don't like me, but those are some of the things that I usually have my clients do, you know? And then, of course, we will always, um, I'm, I'm a strategy person, I believe that things should be, you know, planned. A lot of it doesn't happen by accident. And even if it does, it's going to be like someone jumping up. You jump up, you come down, you know. But if you climb up, it's because you understand the steps that you're taking. Mm. Yeah, so, interesting question. That was a very long answer. Yeah, no, it answered it, but you didn't tell us what happened with the, with the gifting company. You said that she... Oh, here, the person you want to know in the company. So what they're doing now is actually the reach out. And it's okay. been amazing. So okay. um, first of all, I had to have her outsource the things she wasn't comfortable with. I'm not one of those people who would force you to strengthen all your weaknesses because we will always have weaknesses. Instead, I'll say, what are we doing well and how can we amplify that? You know? So we outsourced a couple of things. I think so far we've done, we've outsourced about three areas of the business. And yeah, the results are coming in, certainly, because people are now doing what they do best and then we have a strategy with milestones that we're following and i still spoke with her last week they're doing great fantastic that's amazing and you know i want to touch on something you said which i think is great uh, well everything you said is great which i think is particularly um, <laughs> yeah. you know um, insightful which is about outsourcing because i think a lot of business owners feel so much pressure especially with small businesses there's so much to do from the accounting to the marketing to the, you know, maybe like a stock taking to the processing of orders to maybe the email marketing. There's so much going on. And I think there's a false notion that one or two people can just do everything. And oftentimes, like you said, if it's something is not your strength, it's okay to get someone else, you know, to do it for a fee. And sometimes as SMEs, there's this notion of there's no money, there's no money, but it's probably, you know, we need to, as SMEs, revisit that and spend money on things that we can't do ourselves. So I'm so happy that, you also mentioned that fantastic so 
Yeah, so let's talk about like post pandemic because now we're in the middle of um, COVID. Well, not in the middle. I guess we're we're over it, but what it's still it's still it's in the, like the part of the world we're in. <laughs> yes, I mean, there's like I guess I'm seeing like in other parts of the world, they'll you know there's rolling lockdowns, so they'll ease the lockdown, they'll get back into the lockdown. So we just don't know how it's going to pan out. But for people who are looking at you know when it's all over and looking at planning for 2021 and beyond. Um, what steps can SMEs take, especially those who maybe can't be operational right now um, for whatever reason, but are looking at being fully operational, you know, next year and want to plan towards that? Um, what are some of the things that they can do now in order to sort of launch again with a bang, I guess, when everything opens back up properly? One thing I will certainly put out there because I tell every customer of mine is it doesn't matter what you do, what industry you are in, there's a way technology is being used today to ease processes, to bring customers in, to um, satisfy customers more easily, whatever. There is a way technology is being used that I think everyone, to the extent that you can, should pay some more attention to how technology can help me run a better, more efficient, more profitable business, right? Mm -hmm. It will be different, of course, for the fashion brand. Um, it will be different for the food brand. It will be different for the real estate person. But there's some way that technology is being used. And those who ignore the role that technology is playing in today's world, they're going to be on the... And like they're going to be at the end of the line, <laughs> right? They really are going to be at the, at the end of the line. So that's one. Um, a second thing is, I feel like some of the people who are going, and this is this is a feeling, it's not backed up by any science or data, but I feel like some of the people who are going to be at the forefront after things stabilize. Notice I did not say when they go back to normal because I don't know what it's going to be. But I feel like some of those people are in the trenches right now, you know, sleeves rolled up, doing some form of work. And so for that reason, I also think that it will be important as companies look towards creating new strategies that they do two things. One is do some form of scenario planning. So if this happens, I do this. And if that happens, I do that. Um, and plan it in such a way that you are not caught unaware. So we don't know all the answers, but if you study, you can start to connect some dots. And the best way to do this for anyone, in case you're wondering, you know, how do I, just study what your biggest or best competitors are doing. Could be local, could be global right and how would you study them because they're not going to put out their strategy there but their coo just had an interview that is somewhere on youtube go listen somebody just you know, put out a post so if you track you can start to put two and two and two together and get 500 <laughs> so that, will open, that will open your eyes to um, the direction they're going from the things that they're saying across their books and interviews. Mm -hmm. Don't try to learn from a hundred people. You will end up confusing yourself. Pick one, two, three. Three is even much. Maybe three. Right? But one or two, they do a deep study of what they're doing. That will give you some form of direction, right? So that's okay. one. And the second thing is understanding that even though you're a small business and you know how to do these things and, you know, you're just so fantastic. If you want your business to grow, you cannot keep doing all of those things. So I know that there's usually this fear 
Mm? And the fear with small business owners, why they don't outsource. Sometimes it's perfectionism and just holding on to what you like. Nobody's going to do it as well as I will. Sometimes that's the case. Other times it's, what if they don't make enough money for me to pay the person? You'd be surprised. Sometimes that's the fear that people have because they also recognize that those who are good don't come cheap. Mm. And so they're not struggling with, you know, uh, how am I going to do that? So one of the things I recommend very often as we prepare for what's to come is that for those processes in your business that you've nailed, particularly for those areas that you already know you do well, and the outcome is usually standard and uniform and good, document how you do it so that it becomes easy when you're preparing for growth to hand it over to someone else. It's easy to train them. It's easy to give them material that they can refer to so that you can now focus on the you know, strategic areas of the business instead of being the, yeah. you know, everything. There's a lot, but we don't have the time. So I'll try to touch on. So the people yes. area, you know, the processes and then um, technology. That, technology. That is, yeah. Fantastic. Okay. Um, thank you so much. I love that you mentioned technology because I think sometimes people are a bit afraid. I mean, even the word technology, it can sound a little bit scary and a little bit, you know, a little bit far away. But I, I love the fact that you're encouraging uh, everyone who's watching, everyone who's going to watch the replay, just to take the time to look into how technology um, can it's been help them. In yeah, in, exactly, exactly. Fantastic. So now I want to talk about in just because we have about another twelve minutes, and I want to take questions. But um, so at this juncture, thank you guys for staying with us. I know that you've been riveted as I have been this entire this entire session. So if you have questions, please, please, please do put them in the comments or in the question box. So so I can put them across. Fantastic. So let's talk about the SME space in Nigeria. There was a time where, you know, um, as a young person, if you said, I want to, you know, own my own business, people would look at you like, what is this one talking about? You know what I mean? There would, it would not be a positive reception. But I think over the years with, you know, um, professions like, you know, makeup artistry, um, catering, um, even all the different professions that tie into the wedding industry, which is so lucrative here in Nigeria, with all of those businesses booming, you know, event planning as well people have started to see sort of, you know, owning their own business as a viable means of income and something that can actually, you know, even surpass their um, expectations in terms of, you know, earning power. Yeah. So I want to talk about what joy you find in working with SMEs. What's your favorite thing about working with SMEs? How do you think the sector has sort of grown over the last five years to where we are today, where there's so many SMEs in Nigeria and um, becoming quite an attractive sector for, you know, young people. Oh, these are favorite thing. <laughs> so it's always very encouraging. Can you still see me? Yes, perfectly. Okay. I still can't see myself, but that's fine. <laughs> we can see you. We're enjoying seeing you. One, one of the things um, that I really love is seeing how business owners who sometimes just jumped out of NYSC or did a job for two years, three years, decided to take the leap, started not knowing what they're doing, can just keep learning and gleaning and, you know, 1% increment every day or every week and suddenly they're building this empire. And you can see the growth. When you plot it, you can actually see how they're, because they're expanding their minds um, 
getting access to information, knowledge, and applying it one day at a time. So I think that is one of my favorite things because I truly believe like there are some of my clients that I can point out and I know that given one decade, they're going to be competing with major, major businesses in their um, in their spaces, right? There are a few of my clients I know like that. Like, they will be noticed by the business leaders in that industry globally. Mm. That's how... Wow. That is exciting. That, that is really very exciting. I think also that um, because we're in a knowledge age now, because, you know, people are spending a lot of money on uh, trainings and knowledge, and don't get me wrong, a lot of them are still just going around gathering the knowledge and not implementing. But things like this, somebody would listen to, you know, this conversation we're having, pick one, two, three things, dedicate the whole of the rest of September and October to implementing those things and start seeing the results from November, you know? So for a lot of people, there's also that consciousness of a better way of doing things. I don't know it all. I can learn from someone, you know, peek from somebody and intentionally deliberately apply it in my business and see a difference. So I think that that new, do I call it a phenomenon or that new thing that is happening has really helped a lot of people just pull themselves out of poverty. They may not be exactly where they want to be, but you can see the light at the end of the tunnel and they're encouraged to keep going you know, the vision is growing. They're learning to just, you know, push themselves and dream big. That's, that's also another very exciting thing. Um, the, the, the terrain is still not very encouraging, let's be honest. Between the government agencies and some kind of taxes and all, you know, it's not very encouraging. But, you know, the Nigerian spirit, we're very resilient. And it takes a key combination of things. Like, some people will tell you, like, you guys, I cannot deal with the you know, the lack of predictability that comes with owning your own business. I cannot deal, I think. I would rather just, you know, do this and know that this is what is coming to me at the end of the... Some people are that way. Um, but yeah. for entrepreneurs who take the leap and can see the way forward, it doesn't stop them. What's happening around doesn't stop them. And if there's anyone who's constantly thinking, oh, light, this, that, you will not grow your business. So the people who are really succeeding are those who take the laws into their hands and just some people are thriving despite yeah. how are they doing it and what can I learn from them? Yeah. I'm well. I'm well. <laughs> okay, fantastic. So uh, we have time for one question because uh, Instagram is going to cut us off after about an hour and we're almost there. We have about five, seven minutes. So um, Harshi Target, that's the person's handle, says, my major issue with outsourcing is finance. How can I work around this? I'm into the fashion industry. So I think it's a she. She's into the fashion industry and she needs to, um, she needs help with her with her finances, the finances of her business, okay. should I say. Mm. Okay, so um, two things, two things um, that I usually try to, because fi finance is sometimes the reason people don't outsource. Like I mentioned earlier, can I pay? Would I be able to pay, you know, continuously? So what I can say is, number one, you can do it right such that, I mean, what brings money in is sales. So if yeah. you fix the things that lead to sale, that shouldn't be such a problem. It's not something that can happen overnight, but you can mm. start to work 
towards it consciously so that you then get the money to start outsourcing. But on the other hand, for whoever you want to outsource to, a lot of times you also have those businesses struggling with some other areas in their business, right? And so it's not always about the money. Sometimes there could be a trade by butter type arrangement or you know, just something else that you can offer them, which they desperately need right now. Because even for the most successful companies, the truth is there's no perfect organization. They are struggling with something. They Or even if they're not struggling, there's something they're aspiring to. And so if you can add value in that area, then it can, it can work out. But if you don't explore it, if you don't attempt to have those conversations and find out, it's never going to happen. And you'll think it's just about money, but it's not always about money, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. I really agree. Um, and I, and I, I want to watch just your point, just, you know, what you said, it's not always about money. I think sometimes it's SMEs. What holds us back is a thought. Because, you know, we didn't have, have time to go into the whole funding and app. You, oh, you're there. I thought, you, I thought you'd frozen. I was scared for a second. Um, <laughs> fantastic. You're still with us. Um, unfortunately, we didn't have time to go into the whole, you know, the funding of the SME sector because I know that that's one um, big problem people usually have in terms of raising finance for their business. You know, banks require collateral, friends and family. Sometimes people don't have the friends and family that they can get the adequate amount of, you know, um, angel investment from. So that's also sometimes a stumbling block. I wish we had more time. I don't, you know, maybe you can talk to us for about a minute on how, um, if you don't have the funds, like you said, to to market, to run Facebook ads, Instagram ads, or to outsource, you know, certain things. What what's the way forward? How can how can how can people sort of bootstrap or make the best of what they have? Hmm. So um, collaboration is something that they could try, but I don't agree that see, no matter how small, let it be as ridiculous as 5,000, something should be dedicated to marketing. Because mm. if you are not doing marketing right, you will not make sales, even when you have great products or services. So um, going everything organic is not a very good plan. Right? It, it, it's just not a very good plan. But I also think that collaboration has immense benefits that we don't always tap into, mainly because of our mindset. You know, we think, what do we have to offer this person? Because many times when you're thinking of collaboration, you're looking at bigger brands so you can get, get, get something from them. And then yeah. when you think about it, you also know that what would those bigger brands be looking at you for? Because they too are aspiring to collaborate with Nike and Adidas, right? So, <laughs> so um, we tell ourselves they won't want us. And so for that reason, we don't try. But the truth is there's no harm in trial. And um, put yourself out there. Keep asking the question, what do I know how to do? What can I offer? There is something. And if you absolutely cannot come up with anything that you know you offer, engage them and find out what are you looking for in someone business that you collaborate with. So collaboration a lot of times eases that burden that um, funding or access to funding, uh, lack of access to funding, the burden that it places on us, collaborating yeah. with other businesses can really help with that. Um, what else can I think of? What else can I think of? It's just really just focus on sales. Do the do the hard, uncomfortable, awkward work and sell. Then take it step by step by step. As you do good work and get results that people are happy to share about, others will see you and even start to um, offer 
to invest in your business. Like I have with one of my clients now, like they have investors all around. So we're trying to get a proper valuator to value the business and, you know, know which way to go. But yeah. Amazing. I have a lot of things that people see. Mm -hmm. I love, I love, I love the last thing you said. I love everything you said, but you know, excellence, like you said, excellence is its own <laughs> advertisement. You know what I mean? Do excellent work and people will see you. They'll be attracted to you. They'll gravitate towards what you're doing because everybody wants you know to be part of something great who doesn't want to be part of something great right so i totally agree i totally agree well we're gonna get kicked off in about two minutes so i want to take the time to say thank you so much for coming on i feel like i really me myself i've been taking notes on my phone you know from everything you said um you really sort of imparted so much practical wisdom and knowledge um to us so if anybody who's watching wants to connect with you or perhaps wants to work with you what's the best and easiest way to to connect with you the easiest easiest way is phone call <laughs> and our number is on our page but you can connect with us on um instagram facebook uh uh what all the platforms right literally people yeah. consulted it's made anywhere and okay. um our services are always tailored, you know, it's always tailored to the person. So Q4 is already geared to the business. Many people have said 2021 is going to be, aha, and they know it won't happen by accident. So yeah. we're happy to work with you, help you really put things in place and position yourself for the success you want. It won't come by wishing. So reach out to us, Hillbridge Consultant, phone call, website, uh, LinkedIn, email, contact at Hillbridge Consultant, whatever. We're happy to speak with you. Fantastic, yeah. fantastic. Well, that's it, you guys. Definitely reach out. I know you've taken notes and gone so much out of this session. So imagine a three-month, you know, strategy plan dedicated to your business and helping you to meet your business goals. That's going to be invaluable. Um, so like, you know, just do that, you know, hit, hit up Hillbridge Consulting. Um, thank you once again. Uh, this video is going to go up on Oh, you're welcome on our um, IGTV. So anyone who wants to rewatch, um, if you guys are watching, you have a friend who would benefit from this information, please do refer them to our IGTV where this video is going to be, you know, in perpetuity for anyone who's interested to check it out. Um, I will see everybody on Friday. Thank you so, so much. And hopefully um, we'll have you on when we start filming our TV show once again. We don't know when that's going to be. But once we start filming, we'd love to have you as a guest. All right. Thank you so okay. much. Thank you so, so Bye. much. Have a wonderful rest of the day. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Bye.